0: Now, let's turn to Hebrews 2, the passage you read. And I want to say something from this, um, to look at this. In the light of the fact that we come towards the end of another year, and in the light of the fact that, like, this year, there has been many good things that have happened to us, and also many difficult things that people really, really struggle with. And I want to say something uh, about some of the things that have occurred. And in particular, uh, we've been praying for Andy and Jenny and Oliver Gill. And uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, uh, Oliver is a five-month-old baby who died yesterday on Christmas Day. Um, And we we just pray for and we just feel and share to a small degree some of the pain that Andy and Jenny feel. Now, the message that they sent out yesterday was a very uh, deep and very profound message, one still speaking of their thankfulness for God and their difficulty in understanding what had happened, which is the same as, I think, all of us would be But I've known Christians who, when they're faced with difficulties, a lot, lot less than that, have just said, well, I'm out of here. This is not what I signed up for. This is not who God is. And I think that people who do that are not understanding. Because as we come to, I've been singing about the cross, as we come to the cross, as we take communion, as we come towards the end of another year in the shadow of the cross, I think as we look at Hebrews 2, you will see that there is an explanation of what is going on without us understanding why any one particular circumstance may happen. Look at verse 8. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of everything. Okay? Straightforward. And we would say, okay, that's fine. So then Jesus is Lord, and um, in terms of people being sick and in terms of providing for Andrew's finance, in terms of providing for the church, in terms of providing in uh, our relationships and everything else, surely Jesus will, can just give us these things. And if he doesn't give us them, it must be because we're not close enough to him and we're not praying enough or we're not doing enough. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Look what the next bit says. The next line says, God left nothing that is not subject to him, yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. That is a very profound statement. It is not saying that things are out of God's control. It's saying that at present we don't see everything subject to him. We don't see, we don't grasp, we don't understand, we're not sure what's happening. We ask the question why because we don't know why. And sometimes when a Christian comes and says, "and is, look, I'm telling you that this is why, and this is why, and this is why, we have to be incredibly careful. We do not see everything subject to him. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that everything is subject to Jesus, but I do not see everything subject to him. But look what verse 9 says, but we see Jesus. We don't see everything working out just perfectly at this point, at this stage in our existence, but we see Jesus. And the point there, the contrast between two types of sight, one which sees what's going on, which sees everything good, which sees nothing bad, and the other which sees Jesus in the midst of the things that are bad. And notice the Jesus that they see. Jesus, who's made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We are brought to glory, verse 10, because it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. In other words, what we are being told here is that in this world, we are being brought to glory by, by the Son of God who came to this world from glory. He takes death so that our death loses its sting and its bitterness. Jesus calls men holy, and those who are made holier of the same family, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is saying about his people that we are his brothers, that we are his sisters, that we are the children that God has given him. He shared in our humanity the wonder of the incarnation. He shared in our humanity so that he might die. Because as God, he could not die. But as man, he could die. And he did die. In order that he might destroy him who holds the power of death, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death death is the great equalizer it is also inevitable we don't know many things but we know this that one day we all will die death is the result of sin therefore just as sin entered the world romans 5:12), through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all men because all sinned death has a sting first corinthians 15:56. the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law death has a power the power of death is held by the devil so by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil and that's the reason that people are afraid they know that there is what is called in the bible the second death god has said eternity in the hearts of men And it's very, very hard for us to enjoy life when we are conscious or subconscious of death and what comes afterwards. Now, in our culture, what people do with this is they either sentimentalize it by saying, well, everyone's at rest, or they ignore it. It's still the great taboo. There are people who will say they're not afraid of death in the same way as there are people who say they're not afraid of walking in the middle of the motorway. It's ignorance that is the twin cousin of fear. And there are people who are prepared to die for something else. We um, were just talking in the Mans this afternoon about the, how sad it was that the first suicide bomber in Pakistan, first female suicide bomber in Pakistan, why would someone do that? And yet, most people fear. Death in one way or another. And that's why Jesus became human. Verse 14, he became human because we are flesh and blood. He became human, fully human. Chapter 1 in Hebrews tells us about the divinity of Christ. Chapter 2 tells us about his humanity. He became something that he was not. He did so in verse 9, we're told, so that he might taste death for everyone he could have taught us he could have done the miracles but as a human being it's only as a human being that he could die and here is the great paradox christ destroys him who holds the power of death the devil by dying first john 2 9 the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the devil's works first corinthians 15 christ died for our sins according to the gospel He suffered in our place. He died in our place. He took the sting. He was stung. It's a whole concept, the whole idea, the whole meaning of substitutionary atonement. No one else could take it. You go through Hebrews and you read about the high priest because the high priest had to deal with his own sin. He couldn't even carry his own. Never mind yours, never mind mine. And Christ died for us so that he might taste death for us which leaves one very big problem for many people and it's simply this it's a logical question which says this if that's true why do we still die why do the children of christians why do christians get sick and christians have accidents and so on if we're saying that christ died for us i thought christ died in my place someone will say so why do i have to die the answer to that is very simple. Again, First Corinthians 15, the sting of death and the power of death is taken away. The law and the sin that is both exposed and stimulated by the law is taken away. We face the first death, our physical death, but not the second, our spiritual death, And without the second, the first is only a journey to a better place. I met and held and prayed for we Oliver Gill. I do not, in the remotest sense, feel sorry for him. I feel heartbroken for his parents. I cannot imagine what they are going through. But I have no doubt that what David said about the death of his own child i shall not he shall not come to me but i shall go to him is true for andy and jenny and that's why when we go into this year there are at the end of the year you know how these newspapers they do things they do people who we have said goodbye to in the year and they list the famous people who have died at the end of the year we might look back over this year and think of people who we've lost this year or another time And as we look ahead, who knows? We don't know which of us will be here and who will not be here in a year's time. But the believer has no fear of that because what can happen to us? All that we can lose is our temporary life on this earth. We don't even lose our bodies because we are promised a bodily resurrection. The results of Jesus dying for us are astounding there is victory. Thanks be to God, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory. The victory is not that we never get sick. It's not that no Christian ever dies. It's that the victory is over, already over that death. I think that... um, As we celebrate communion, we're celebrating the death of Christ because the death of Christ is the defeat of the devil. The death of Christ is followed by the resurrection, the ascension, the coming of the Spirit, and Christ's return. We do it till he returns. There is victory. In terms of what Jesus has done, there is freedom. If death has no sting and no power, why should we be afraid of it? It's like a bee with no sting. I don't like bees. Um, at least when they fly towards me and I'm cycling or something and there's a bee coming and... but if you knew the bee had no sting they're lovely creatures and dogs a dog comes tearing up at you barking away like mad and you see that it has no teeth you smile the toothless dog, that's just wonderful someone has a gun and it has no bullets in it no problem you can cope with that that's what we have with death It's a toothless dog. It's a gun with no bullet. The Christian can say you can do what you want. I'm free from the fear of death. Jesus came to free those who are held in slavery by their fear of death. I think also, though, it's freedom from all the things that the fear of death brings. There are so many things that come in with the fear of death. I think that there are a whole lot of religious rules that come in. Colossians 2 16, Paul says, Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. We live no longer in the shadows, we live in the reality. Paul talks about how, though outwardly our bodies are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I think that as we move forward in this year, we know that there are going to be many, many difficult things. But we are not a gloomy and discouraged and depressed and worn out, and beaten, and defeated people, because Christ has been victorious over our greatest enemies, and once they are defeated, the rest are are almost nothing. There's a great freedom in being a Christian. There's a great victory, and there's great hope, and I want to give you just four quotes from some of the great teachers in the church about this hope. Athanasius, by the sacrifice of his body he did two things he put an end to the law of death which barred our way and he made a new beginning of life for us by giving us the hope of resurrection martin luther who is direct as ever says this he who fears death or is not willing to die is not sufficiently christian as yet such people lack faith in the resurrection and love this life more than the life to come He who fears death or is not willing to die is not sufficiently Christian. Why? Because we lack faith in the resurrection. We love this life more than the life to come. It's a scary thing to be a Christian. It is, I know people use this phrase, they talk about people being too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. It's a neat phrase, it's a quaint phrase, and I know what they mean, I think but it's a very dangerous phrase because I actually think the more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly use you will be as long as it's heavenly-minded in the biblical sense of the word. You can be so much more useful when you realize that this life is not all there is. You can be so much more useful in this life when you realize it's not all there is. And when you realize that it doesn't really matter who abuses you, who attacks you. It doesn't really matter whether... You have no money left at the end of your life it doesn't really matter if even you end up being killed for your faith it doesn't matter compared with the life that is yet to come calvin a little bit more um says quietly than luther says this although we must still meet death let us nevertheless be calm and serene in living and dying when we have christ going before us If anyone cannot set his mind at rest by disregarding death, that man should know that he has not gone far enough in the faith of Christ. Chrysostom, the early Christian preacher, talked about Christian funerals and complained they were just like pagan ones with the same wailing. Those who are really worthy of being lamented are the ones who are still in fear and trembling at the prospect of death and have no faith at all in the resurrection. May God grant that you all depart this life unwailed. Um, I love that expression. I quite, quite. He departed this life on. If you have a tombstone out there for me, and it says on it, he departed this life unwailed. Um, that would just be a great expression. It's not that people wouldn't. It's not are not sorrow. We do sorrow. It's just we don't sorrow as do others. It's not the wailing of desperation and defeat. It's the tears for ourselves and also. I, I hope, an awareness of the victory that Christ brings. You see, all that is probably accumulated in Romans 8. And if you're, you're here next Sunday morning, um, Brian's going to teach about Romans 8, and it's just a great, great passage. Let me read from verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. There's a way that you can enter 2011, which is not a good way. It's a way of fear. It's a way of wondering what's around the corner and being scared what's around the corner. It's a way of discouragement and darkness and depression. It's not good. There's a way that you can enter 2011, which is just as bad. And that's the person who has no fear. The person who is somebody who just bounces ahead and everything is going to be great and everything is going to be wonderful. And the problem with that is simply when things are not wonderful, they crack up because they're lying. But there's a way that we can enter 2011. And it's for me, it is we enter as Christians whose hope is placed on nothing except Jesus' blood and righteousness whose victory comes not from ourselves but only from Christ and our freedom is freedom in Christ I have a far greater sorrow in some ways for the people in Saint Peter Street and in the Perth Road, and in whatever street you live in whatever town you live in whatever village you live in Who are walking, running, playing, laughing their way into a lost eternity. And I think, and I was lying thinking about this last night, I, I want more than anything else for me personally, and I hope for us as a church, for 2011 to be a year when we proclaim the one who defeated death so that people don't have to live in fear of death so that people don't have to hide from it and so that people can be set free we are too self-focused too concerned about our own issues and our own problems we have this fantastic remedy for the ailments of the people around us and it's just simply the gospel You know, it's so much easier to communicate the effects of the gospel to people than it is to actually communicate the gospel. What I mean by that is just simply this that we can talk about the effects, we can talk about social justice, we can talk about peace between human beings, we can talk about uh, God's healing hand, and so many different things. And we can present each of these effects as though they were what people needed but they're not what people need more than anything else is to be reconciled with god is to come to know jesus who came to deliver them i don't know is it it legitimate to do this or not would it be right for each of us just to take one of our friends two of our friends maybe maybe more and just pray our family our workmates, and just pray that if we're spared and we're still here, and God willing we will be in in this time next year, that they would be believers in Jesus, celebrating their new life with us, sitting at his table with us, no longer afraid, but having freedom and hope and victory. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we reflect upon these things. We do not see everything subject to you. We know that you are sovereign. We know that the devil is on a short chain. We know that he is not in control. We know that there is not an equal battle. But we know, Lord, that until the end of all things, until the books are closed, Until the heavens and earth disappear with a roar and are renewed. That there will be evil and the apparent triumph, appearance of triumph of death and of evil. And there will be great sorrow and suffering. But we know, Lord, that the devil is already defeated. That he was defeated on the cross. That the principalities and powers have been overcome. And we know that there will come a time when every tear will be wiped from our eyes. There will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more suffering. Lord, help us in this coming year as we ourselves face our own sin and suffer in our own ways to uphold one another and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. If any one of us here do not know you, we pray that we'd be drawn to you. Lord, our times are entirely in your hands. We ask that we would know the peace and the presence of a God who loved us and gave himself for us. In your name, amen. I'm going to sing a song um, from Horatius Bonner. One of the great things for me in, in 2010... Um, which some of you may find a bit strange, but I, I find it a, just a fantastic thing, is to be able to sing the songs of uh, the Boners and McShane and others uh, here in this church. To us. We pray that as we <clears throat> go from this place, that we would be conscious of that love, that you would deliver us from hypocrisy and from despair, that you would re-energize us. And Lord, we plead with you for our neighbors and friends and family. We think of them just now. Those whom we know, those who will meet tomorrow, those who we go home to, who don't see you at all. We don't see everything subject to you, but we see you. We pray that they would see you and that this coming year would be their day of salvation for we ask it in your name Amen. there's a. I i read yesterday a quote from dostoevsky which says uh, dostoevsky of course is a russian writer and in his book which i'm reading at the moment the idiot he is um he says that you only really begin to live when you're 55 i don't know why that year But when you're 55, and some of you have a little way to go yet, and some of you, you're thinking, that's young. (laughs) But um, I think we should go from this table and go and live. There are two ways of living. There are people who say, I'm going to go out and live because I'm going to die. And I might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. But the Christian should be able to say, I'm going to go out and live because I'm going to live no matter what happens, I'm going to live. I have been given eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's my prayer that you will know that, that you will know God's eternal life with you over these coming days and months and for as long as the Lord will give us. you're a visitor here from another church. May the Lord bless you in your church, and may your church be filled with the Spirit and with people who are seeking and finding Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask as we come to you, that we, as we go from this place, rather, that we would be conscious of you being our shepherd. We would thank you for Ramon and Elspeth Olivetti as they've become members in the congregation and we pray your blessing to be upon them that you would protect them and keep them we thank you for them we thank you also for Becky and Pete being here and as they look forward to being married in this coming year we pray that you would protect them that you would provide for them and that they would be a a young Christian couple who would serve you as you call them to. We thank you also for uh, those we know in our fellowship who are pregnant. We pray especially for Bev as uh, the day of the arrival of her and Tim's baby uh, is getting very, very close. Lord, may your hand be upon them to protect and to keep. We pray also for Louise in in Northern Ireland and as she travels back here that you would keep her also. We thank you, our God, for just all that you have granted to us as a fellowship and for different churches that are represented here. And we thank you for the unity of your body in Christ. And may we see more and more of that in this year. And now may your grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with us and remain with us now and forevermore. Amen. We were delighted to finish the year with uh, Ramon and Elspeth Olivetti becoming members in the congregation. Where are they? I've lost them. Oh, over there. Oh, yes. Fine young couple, (laughs) but you are indeed. We are absolutely delighted that you're members. You've become members in the church here. Um, I hope that you have a great new year. Go home. Thank you.